And that one in particular is funny because if you go into one of your, if you go into your inventory, you can actually take out your power chip because you're like an Android and it just turns off the game. <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 207 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the Weber of Wibs. I'm <laughs> the Weber. Uh-huh. Weep those webs. Mm, Weep those I'm webs. Sam. That's all I got. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is Junkyard 2019. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show, profanity and maybe even lewdness mm-hmm. uh, may happen. So if you're a child, then you just can't do it anymore. What is lewdness? Is that profane? I think it's just uh, talking about stuff that maybe you shouldn't be talking about. <laughs> it's is it like, but is it specifically like sexual stuff? I don't I think know. It tends to be because we don't sort. really we get don't lewd, we don't ask you we don't actually do that. But uh, you know we gotta we gotta set the bar really high so that way we just like, scoot under yeah, it yeah, yeah. We, so we can limbo under it very easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, also, we'd like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We got a we got a uh, very generous donation from Hubdonka Kazonga. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Hubdonka. Uh, that, did, who, that one sounded lewd. Hubdonka Kazanga wrote us a, a long message, which is uh, frankly too long to read on the podcast. But in summary, Hubdonka is from San Francisco, was bummed uh, that uh, he or she could not make it to the uh, meetup at GDC, yeah. but also thought that we should check out Risk of Rain 2. So uh, dropped some cash in our money grab pile to help us uh, pick up some copies of that. I so, dig it. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Uh, and also, we'd like to thank our recurring supporters as well. Uh, let's talk about life, morning habits. Yeah. Let's talk about them. What well, is it? So I, you know, every so often, uh-huh. every so often, you just take a step back yeah. and you're like, why is everything just flying off the rails? I thought you were going to say, why is everything farther away? Yeah. <laughs> <It's good. laughs> That's kind of the purpose of stepping back, right? Yeah. Say, Everything's farther on? away now. Uh-huh. So, so I did some of that stepping back mm-hmm. last week and- I uh, decided that, you know, I had, a, had a few of these things that I had clearly were sort of mentally on my important list of things. Yeah. But I had no habits actually routine, like routinely built into my days to make sure that I did those things. So, so, so you would, you, so your morning habit was thinking about what you should do, stressing about it and then not. Mainly. Correct. That's, uh, that's a dope habit. It's uh, yeah. there's, you know, by the end of the week, usually I'd have like a good Monday or Tuesday because I'm coming off the weekend and be like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Right. But then after that, it would kind of get get a little slurby, get a little chaos in there. And then by Friday, I'm like, I don't know what's happening. I'm feeling a little weird, whatever. And so I said, okay, you know, let's, uh, let's tune this up. Let's pick a few of these target things like doing more art, uh, doing more design stuff, whatever else, and build some habit time in there such that like in the mornings, by the time I even get to work, I've already done, already sort of checked some of these boxes mm-hmm. and, uh, and also sort of plan for the evening. So, uh, you know, I started doing this and it's been good. It's been very good. But the big question I have for you guys, because one of the things that always hits me after doing like a routinized habit thing mm-hmm. where I've, I've structured it out. I'm very good at the structuring process. And then the first couple of days, I'm just like, it's easy. It's fine. Whatever else. Yeah. But then something happens after some number of days where this feeling of being like of of like almost a, like a tightness. A mental tightness where around you just got it all under control. Well, no, I mean, like it's it is all under control. It's but where you're being constrained. Yes, 
It's where you start. You, like, you put yourself into your own mental handcuffs. Yeah, there's a there's a, pr- a problem with routines is that they get boring because you yeah. you suddenly no, no longer feel like you have the latitude to just yeah. do what you. So do. Here's, here's what you do: get an actual monkey. Okay, because yeah, it's all, <laughs> all about right. it's all about this chaos. Is monkeys, elaborate, right? all right? Yeah, because on. now now every time you're trying to do anything, that fucking monkey is going to cause a problem, mm-hmm. and you have to deal with that problem, right? And now you're going to start building all this. Now you have to spend all this time building your systems to sort of like handle all the chaos this mm-hmm. monkey is injecting into your life. And so now that becomes like the part of your life that becomes really interesting but and challenging. But isn't that just, isn't that just a distraction for what I'm trying to actually do? <laughs> I mean, isn't that what everything in life is? This is what I'm trying to get at because the weird thing about it is I have a very good time and I'm very uh, energized by the whole like figuring out the structure piece. Do the structure for a couple of days and then that energy just like – I th- yeah, the difficulty here is that is that as a person, one of the things that you crave the most is novelty. Mm-hmm. And routines are exactly the opposite of that. You know, if you wake up in the morning, you eat the same thing for breakfast, you draw for 30 minutes, you go to work for the same amount of time, you go home, you do the same stuff, then you go to bed. Even after just a few days of that, you start to think like, is this all there is yeah. <laughs> in the world? <laughs> well, so I remember because the, the other time this was very apparent was back when I was doing that art class last uh, like November or whatever. And I'd gone 21 days where every single day I'd done at least like 40 minutes of drawing. At least 40 minutes of drawing. And on the weekends, I'd do like three or four hours at a stretch. And then as like as I started approaching that the that end of that sort of 21-day streak, that feeling of tightness just got so intense that on the 22nd day, I sat down to do the art. Like I was there. I was ready to go. And I just go, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I just had to leave. I just, I just like went, just did something else. And then it took me, I think, three days before I got back into it. Yeah. Because it was it's just hard. too – I don't know. Yeah. There, there's always – yeah, this I think this is why it's just hard to do pretty much anything. I, I think it's anywhere from maybe three days to two weeks is mm-hmm. where people starting a new thing and trying to do it routinely really just hit that point where they just scream no and then can't do it. Mm-hmm. I think you lasted longer because it was part of a, a, a structured, a, a structured class. class. But yeah, at a certain point, you just want to be like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. At a, cer- at a certain point, I feel like you want to ascend to another plane of existence where you just don't have to give a fuck anymore. <laughs> Cause, yeah, to some degree. And I think the weird thing about it is, is it's still I, – I know still mentally that it's very important, right? It's not – that's not the issue. It's that there's this weird almost emotional detachment from it after a period of time. Well, I, it's also a feedback problem. So, I, so I've started doing uh, CrossFit in the mornings, which is, again, a big change to my morning routine. And mm-hmm. I feel fantastic. Um and in the first in the first week, it was new, and so I was like, "Yes, I'm doing this thing. I'm finally doing it. I'm changing my life." Uh, in the second week, it was Pain. I was still really tired and really mm-hmm. sore, but also I was kind of over the novelty of it. And now it was just like work, and I had to get to bed on time every night, and there's just a lot of extra stuff I have to do. And uh, and but my wife goes as well. Sampa goes as well. So. I had somebody there to kind of like keep me keep me going, mm-hmm. um, and now even after just just two weeks, I'm kind of over the hump. Where now it's just so easy to get up in the morning that now it's it's not a problem. Um, but I think I think having that social structure there really helps a lot. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I think I think the feedback aspect of it is really hard to figure out because like if you're drawing every day, you're not necessarily going to see like immediate results of that, yeah. and your brain craves ice cream. You know, your your brain craves things that are just obviously immediately beneficial mm-hmm. for you and you just want to have them. And immediately bad for you. Yes. And long-term bad for you. Yeah. Just bad. But, 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 <laughs> but where, but where so they're your very – Your brain just craves things 
regardless of the actual quality. Yeah, well, no, I think it prefers bad things. What your brain wants yeah. is Netflix, ice cream, uh, candy, naps. You but, know? There's, but this is what I'm trying to get. Is there is some part of your brain that always knows and wants the other thing. It's just that it gets – that's why people feel bad, right? Because you, yeah, you that, do all I the things. I think that's a different part though. I think that's like the part of your brain that like – That's the top part. It's that, the – it's the human part of your brain. The quarter yeah. inch deep. Yeah, layer. yeah it's a little, like little thin skin. Of, yeah, you've got of like humanity. This, <laughs> you've got like this big giant core animal brain that's like, give me the sugar, give me the calories, give me the naps. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's those are the things I need. And the human, the human, the human part layer. is like, hold on now, let's draw for a while. But that's you know now you're bat. It's a battle mm-hmm. the whole time. So you can you can maintain it for a while, but eventually maybe you got to like give some ground to the animal part to kind of subdue it. Yeah, you know you got to you got to break you it, tire it out. Yeah, mm. uh, I don't know, man. It's hard. Yeah, you got to tire the animal part, but the animal part when it gets tired forces the rest of you to take a nap. Is the problem? That's true. Mm. You can't really tire out the animal part without well, tiring well, out the human part. Well, this is where coffee comes in. Ooh, maybe that's what <laughs> coffee does. Maybe because coffee hits you right in the human part. It's right in the human parts. Coffee, coffee is a it has re- it, it what it blocks your receptors for tiredness yep. basically, yeah. right? So it disconnects your animal brain from your it allows brain. you to regain control over the animal part of your brain that's trying to make you stop doing. So shit does this mean that if you get really really <laughs> tired and mm-hmm. then get really really caffeinated, that you've basically turned off your animal brain because it's so tired it's asleep now, mm-hmm. but you're still awake as like a human? Yeah, I don't know. Having that, done that you get before. The most work done. It doesn't feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no. The problem is that yeah, it, this is good your theory, animal brain comes back comes back with a vengeance later. Yeah, you gotta you gotta sort of tranquilize it, but in a you gotta keep it calm. You gotta yeah. still kind of give it what it needs for the mm-hmm. most part, so it doesn't come back and get you, come back and bite you. Yeah, so I don't know. It's hard though. Yeah, I don't know. I was, just, <laughs> I was thinking about it more, and I was like, am I the only one who gets that that feeling of that increased feeling of tightness of that being, makes me just want to go? Nah! You know, after a short period of time. No, no, no. Sure, it's I mean, honestly, I like. I don't really. I've never really done routines. Mm-hmm. Like, really, just never. And it's, and it's for exactly this reason, which is that I, I'm really resistant. Like, well, really, you, really resistant. To you routines. do. I would say you do routines, but not uh, forced routines where you try to like put one on yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just like I do things because like that's the next thing. I'm, and if you I happen to do it a right? bunch, it just is a routine. Yeah. But sort of like as a consequence of the fact that I'm doing it, but not vice versa. You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember we had this conversation when we when we started uh, expanding the studio and talking about things like work hours. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, because like, we used to be a lot more willy-nilly in the mornings. Yeah, it would be like, you know, maybe, maybe it would be like a 10 to 7. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would be 8 to 3. Yep. Maybe. Uh, but then we we had the conversation of like you know it's it's kind of okay like for the three of us working remotely uh, and to kind of keep in touch loosely over things like sure. Google Talk and whatnot. But once you have other people who depend on you to be available and around, uh, just kind of like strolling in randomly doesn't really help mm-hmm. a lot, mm-hmm. you know, with that. But yeah, that I was, remember the first few weeks when we were like we're doing. We're going to do a nine to five. Well, we did eight to four at the beginning. Or eight to four. I remember that being, it had the same sort of tightness to it early on. Yeah. I think, I think I you like, in particular are pretty, yeah. are pretty resistant. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's. Which a, like because I don't, I'm not resistant to, there's something about like going to work or going to school or whatever. Like when, when, a, when there's a thing that starts, right. If, mm. if I have to start as like, as, as a human being, if I arbitrate, I'm like, if you have to self start. Exactly. If I'm like 8am yeah. is when I do art or whatever. Right. right? Like. I'm like, I'm not going to do it. Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it, but if it's like, because the fact is like, I don't really have to arrive here by nine. No. Like if I didn't, what's going to happen? The world carries on. It's going to be fine. Right. Yep. 
Um, but still, I prefer to come here at, by eight thirty. Mm-hmm. I want to be I want to be to work early, right? Because I have like in my brain like that's an important thing to do, right. right? And there's like there's a part of me like the Midwestern you know farmer part mm-hmm. who like values timeliness and like doing what you said you're going to do to other people and right. you know whatever. And so so I find it very easy and it doesn't feel constraining at all to have like work starts at nine. I'm going to be there sometime before nine. Like that's what's going to happen. Um, but when I have things like say orange theory, mm-hmm. uh, where those also start at a certain time, but I, I picked the time. That's right. It's, you know I mean? it's like somewhere, it's now somewhere in between. Right. Cause there's a class. You got to be class, there. So I got to be there. So it's like, it's now a thing I have to be on time for, mm-hmm. but it's also, I chose the class time. So it's kind mm-hmm. of a thing I put on myself. You know right. what I mean? And so those now I find like intermediate hard where it's like, it's always a bit of a struggle to make myself. You could wake up in the morning and be like, nah, actually no, (laughs) you can't because they've done something which is fucking brilliant, which is they charge you. They actually charge you more money. If you don't cancel your class within eight hours, they charge you more money. Yeah. Oh, that's the secret. Yeah. Because what what a lot of people, now you can't buck fee or something. No, it's like $18. It's a lot. Yeah. So it's like, so now if you wake up in the morning and you're like, Oh, I really don't want to go. You're like, but do I want to spend 20 bucks? Not go. And the answer is always, no, the answer is always no. I'm going to go. <laughs> right. Because you know? if you go, you'll pay less. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, that's, and that's you'll an do what you were supposed to do. You'll get your fucking exercise. Yeah. Because one, one of the things I know, there's a lot of research about this idea of like, I think it's called like moral licensing, yeah. which is where if you were paying for a class like that and you knew that they were going to charge you just the same amount no matter what, yeah. then people would often wake up in the morning and then say, well, I'm going to be charged the same no matter what. So I'm just going to pay to just get a good nap. Like that's yeah. what I'm paying for yep. this morning. <laughs> but if it's enough, which like 20 bucks is definitely enough where yeah. you're like, oh God, I don't know. Cause they, they've also done studies Cause now you feel like you're kind of like getting some money back, you know? Yeah. Back yeah. <laughs> or there's also, there's been those studies that, that people use those late fees and like parking fees and stuff as absolutions of guilt. So like when they, so I think it was a preschool or something like that was having problems where parents of course, coming from work or whatever else tended to pick up their kids late. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so they would charge And them. so they're like, oh, we have a great idea. We're going to charge – like if you pick up your kid late, we're going to charge you – it's like five bucks or something. But the thing was the fee was so small that mm-hmm. it became a licensing thing where – where the parents now parents get to just, completely absolve their the parents are just buying more with time. $5. From <laughs> and school. everyone's like, yeah, so I'll then, do so that. So then people were more late than they were yes. before. Yeah. Yeah, now everybody's late because now they can take their time and they can pay. Yeah, for, they can, yeah this was the uh, the indulgences thing that the Catholic mm-hmm. Church did back in the right. uh, 1700s. And now, now if you did, sort of take this concept to rich people, mm-hmm. any fine in the universe now is it's actually – enough, yeah. It's just an absolution of guilt. Absolutely. Thing, yeah. Right? Which if, you, means, if you want to drive 100 miles an hour, then yep. you just pay the, the fee for that. Yep. yep. <laughs> that's but it's actually, but it's mostly going to be because because that you can still lose your license eventually. I mean, if you're a rich person, eventually, honestly, that's not what's going to happen. Probably not. Yeah. But you could like if, say park in a handicap zone because you don't get like you just get a parking ticket for that. You don't get mm-hmm. like thrown in jail or anything, right? You don't lose your license. So so of course, like you pay it's going to cost three hundred bucks to get this that's, front that's front row. That's just yeah. an expensive but nice parking space. For you. <laughs> but it's not even expensive for it if you. It's got cheap money. for you because you get a bajillion dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's uh. That's just how it is. Yeah. Can't do anything about it. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what the update's going to be, but I'm, I'm working on it. I don't know how to, because the thing is, I want to do these certain things every day. I think that it I really, I, I do think that it comes down to social structures for reinforcement. I, but so, so if I'm, so if I want to get up at like seven and be doing some drawing from like seven 30 to eight 15, mm-hmm. how structurally do you put like other people in that? Well, I, yeah. So that's so I I would look at it differently actually. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see this because I think people helps definitely, but only if you're like doing the thing with the person, which you're not doing if you're like doing a solo learning. Right. 
adventure or something. Um, for me, it's taking the time part out of it. And it's, and it's now having a sequence of events. Well, right? I mean, that is what it is for me. It's, it's just a sequence of events. Yeah. So, it's like, like, so if you basically, if you say like, I'm, I'm going to get up at this time, like when, my, when I've set my alarm, right? And like, that's important. So I always do that. So you get up and then you've got some, some, I mean, it is a routine, but it's like, but it's a routine of progression of things, right? So it's like, you get up, go downstairs, have a glass of water, start making tea, coffee, whatever. Yeah. While that's on, get out your drawing like so there's actually a series of steps that have nothing to do with time yeah, but like this, all is, this is actually what it is right now like yeah. i don't have like a timed thing it's just like it is just a series of events and then i draw until i go head into work right yeah so it already is that but it's got that it's got maybe tanks. well maybe you just need to fit, think about how you in particular have this uh i don't want to say like aversion to commitment but maybe i don't know but like it's it's you don't want to be constrained over a long yeah. period of time yeah. doing the same thing, which I guess is what commitment is, but still. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so what you can do is maybe try to figure out a way to build breaks in, mm-hmm. do sprints, right? Do, you know, do a week or two weeks and then say like, yep, after two weeks, then I'm just gonna give myself three days, you know, or whatever. And just, you can also make it so it's not about the time, you know? What mean? Cause like, cause like a, a at work, we have sprints in the sense of like, oh, like between these days, I'm going to accomplish this set of tasks right. or whatever, right? But it's really about the tasks and the, the times are because we want to make sure that we all simultaneously don't have a thousand meetings, can get together at the same time and like talk through stuff, right? That's really what the time part is for. When you're working for by yourself, you don't need to have – you don't need to say like, I'm going to do a one-week sprint. What can I do in a week, right? You could instead say, I'm going to do a project sprint where it's like, here's the things I'm going to do. So I'm going to like work on that until it's done and then take a break. And then like, here's the next thing I want to do. Go do that until it's done. Take a break. Because if, you, if you're working on a thing, then it's a lot easier to work on a thing, right? But if you're like on mm-hmm. a specific project, but if you're basically saying like, I'm getting better at art. Just going to put time in. I'm going to put time in. Then like that's – putting time in just sucks. Yep. There's nothing fun about putting time that's in. That's fact. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if, you, if you're just doing it in terms of putting time in, then it sucks and it's hard. And then you got to build in cheat days. Yep. Like a like a crappy diet that you hate. Yep. <laughs> Mm, all right, I'll keep thinking about Just it. Keep thinking about it. Keep thinking about it. Um, and then I've been reading about How to Do Nothing, that book. It's very good. It's like exactly the opposite of this discussion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a, I don't want to say too much about it. It's a very sort of like cerebral book. Uh, yeah, it's, just, it's pretty heady. It's very heavy, but I definitely recommend people checking it out. How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of really interesting uh, like discussion about various performance art pieces and some very good metaphors and like how to think about how you interact with the world and how the world affects you and stuff like that. Um, and she brings in a lot of parallels of things like like dock workers from the 1930s going mm-hmm. on strike and how that relates to like millennials today and going yeah, into the a- workforce and – yeah, it's it's very academic, is I guess how I'd put it. Yeah, but it um, just does a really good job of like of just sort of threading all of these yeah. uh, historical and cultural things together uh, to make just make you think about like what the fuck is happening? Yeah, yeah, right now. <laughs> it is, it's very much a left. I would say it's very much like a left leaning book in terms of what because it's kind of it has a sort of an anti capitalist undertone to the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but I think again, like we've talked about, it's this before. written by an artist living in California. Yeah, so, I mean, it could be what it is. You got, but, you got um, that, that. We've outside. talked about this before that if if those are the sort of things that you nor- you naturally kind of chafe against, anyways, um, it's it's good to be able to like read something that's you know written by someone who has a very clear or distinct point of view, or uh, maybe even a separate political ideology from you, and be able to take some things like just be able to read it without getting 
antsy about it. Just read it yeah. and like Re- well, see yeah, what read it hits. without judgment and just think about it. Yeah. Because yeah. it is the case that some people think like this, and it's yeah. just interesting to look at. So as long as it's a smart person acting in good faith, yeah, yeah, which, which seems actually is. Yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep reading on the, reading that. I may bring back some stuff maybe in the next couple of weeks about. It's kind of a slower read because it's just like I just it's want to like read it in chunks and kind of think about it. Um, all right, let's talk about uh, level head. So we last week we talked about switching to the two week cadence mm-hmm. of patching. Um, that's been great. Yeah. It uh, feels like we can breathe and take the time to think about new features, th- take the time to fix bugs and optimize things that have been – like there, for the longest time, we've had this bug where if if somebody's game was hitching, meaning like maybe they're running Netflix or something and it's like affecting their GPU so the game would kind of periodically hitch, then they would try to jump off of a moving platform and the game would – because of the hitch and the frame rate during that moment when they jumped, the game would miscalculate their inherited speed – and fling them like a bullet just off the yeah. side of the screen. To <laughs> Seeing those videos of that happening, though, it was very funny. Yeah, because it, it, it would have, like, you'd, you'd see somebody just casually, you know, hanging out on a moving platform. They're like, it's time to jump over something. And then they just shoot like a missile. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and this, oh, this awesome. was basically, you know, the as I was developing the moving platform code, I was doing it at 60 frames per second without hitching. So we, and, and all of our QA testers had the same thing. Um, even on lower end devices, you tend to not really see that much in the way of frame rate drops and stuff. But but when people are our players are building levels that have four thousand coins in them mm-hmm. or gems in them on a path and stuff like that, you know, they're really tanking the frame rate. And then this kind of thing happens all the time. Is there a way to like set the frame rate like while it's running, or even sort of artificially set it so that we could have? testers simulate yes yeah okay. but that is a possibility uh, but, it, but like, it's actually but actually a consistent frame rate is not a problem spiky frame rates are yeah. the problem mm. when you basically like all of, you're running 60 frames per second and then you just all of a sudden have you know a it. 0.5 second moment where, you're, where you just yeah. nothing happens so you, you, know? you need a you need a frame rate chaos monkey you, yeah yeah where just like random spikes and frame yeah. and drops and frame rates happen um, so, so that's been sitting there for forever, but because we've been on the one week patch schedule and every week it's like, we have to rush to like get the next batch of, of things out. Then that bug has actually just been sitting untouched because it required a rework of the physics of the path system. Um, so we got that fixed, yep. right? It's like, because we're on the two week schedule, we can do these kinds of things that actually are, are pretty important. Nice optimizations. And yeah. Fixes. But, but those are the kinds of things like they're not, they're not glamorous. Like we put in the patch notes, like, Hey, this it thing, works now. This thing that yeah. shouldn't have been happening uh, doesn't happen anymore, yep. which is good, but it's <laughs> not a new feature that people, yep. you know, get excited about. Yeah, we do have a bunch of new features this week. So the, yep. the two major ones are the tower, the tower trial, which has been in the beta branch since uh, the weekend, mm-hmm. and that is this system where basically it strings together six levels, uh, six player made levels, and then you play through all of them as a sort of a big sequence and the timer starts when you begin the first one and ends when you finish the last one so there's no individual level uh timekeeping it's about the whole sequence and then there's big leader leaderboards for it and mostly what i'm proud of with that is actually the the algorithmic side of things because we we it appears we did a, a pretty good job as far as like how the algorithm chooses the levels such that uh we had we've had a first iteration of it going last week uh we pulled down and play it and it was just like not <laughs> real bad. <laughs> so we just kind of came back to the drawing board and within a couple hours, then Adam had got it put back in and we did a basically a few refreshes of it and it felt awesome because there were levels that none of us had actually seen before in there. Yeah, the first um, the first tower trial we tried was all brand new levels that we had never seen. Yeah. All six of them. 
And they were all fantastic. Yeah. And we were like, whoa, this is great. <laughs> this is exactly what <laughs> we weren't yeah. supposed to. Yeah, and it just sort this, of surfaces six levels every day that are just good. Right? Yeah. And th- this was also the feedback we got from uh, our players in the beta branch as they were playing the tower trial. They were like, I, I would not have picked these levels. Like, yeah. I, I would not have found these levels or yeah. anything. So it's um, doing exactly what we want it to do, which is awesome. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll be tweaking it and stuff as we go because there's a bunch of really interesting considerations because the whole design of it is supposed to be that you know maybe you've been playing level head for a while and you want to just pop in and play for like 20 minutes or so. Um, you can actually see essentially what the what the rough time estimate of that tower trial is by looking at the, t- the trophy time. Um, the trophy time every single day, if you, if you complete the series in some amount of time, then you essentially earn this little time trophy, which is a rough accumulation of how long it takes to play through all the levels successfully. And so, like, a, well, I guess faster than that, but yeah. yeah, a little bit faster than that. And so the idea is we wanted to have this thing that you could pop in and play for like 20, maybe 30 minutes max uh, and have it be just full of really good stuff that maybe you've not seen before. It's yeah, really it's, it's, our, it's our answer to the 100 Mario challenge. Basically, people, yeah. people have been... I've been wanting this thing where they can basically like click a button and just get handed a bunch of levels. Um, but our stance on that is we want to do better, which we is we want to give you random. We don't random get, is always bad. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's that. There's that. Like the ninety percent of everything is crap rule, mm-hmm. right? Which not not that we want to talk bad about our glorious level builders or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it is the case that not every level is a winner. You know, (laughs) so so we don't we don't want to just give you completely random levels. We want to do some curation and get levels that are engaging, that have good pacing and that kind of stuff. And these would be biased random levels. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so so we do have a a pretty not not super lengthy, but a pretty good, you know, number of criteria um, that we take into account when picking levels for the tower trial. And and so the idea should be you should be able to to every day pop in and have a good experience yes. of getting handed a, a batch of good levels that, that you are interesting that you maybe wouldn't have otherwise stumbled across and to give you a way to not just not just play through them once at random just to see them but to master those levels mm-hmm. and re-engage with them in an interesting way and like go score hunting on them go speed running on them and see how you fare against other players and all that stuff so we wanted it to be a community event mm-hmm. not a solo show me random stuff and then I move on with my life kind yeah. of a – So the only a very interesting design problem from this is that some of the player-made levels, of course, use essentially this idea of tech. So various various techniques that are not ever taught in the campaign because they're cut – they're they're sort of overly complicated in the sense that uh, you wouldn't require just a general player to be able to pull them off. And so this is, this is things like uh, these infinity jumps and these other things where people, players can essentially break how the platforming works by being extremely – precise with their inputs and some of the levels do use that or even are actually the teaching levels that people have built to try to teach other players how to do that and yeah, the levels that require required are usually so hard they fall outside of our requirements they do. But, but the, the ones, ones that, that teach, teach it, it yeah do not tend because they tend to be completely teaching oriented so there's generally no deaths on them yeah and so but also they're not necessarily tagged appropriately so we can't just like kick them out based on tags and so it's right. so there <laughs> there is we're going to be watching uh basically how the, how the trials go over the next two weeks or so and maybe putting in some stop gaps for various things we see that don't quite hit what we're trying to do yeah but but we were yeah as we were discussing it we're like well maybe this is okay because of the fact that so the, the t- tower trial is meant to be challenging you know it shouldn't be just trivially easy to just blow it's meant to be a shared challenging experience right and so so this actually creates an interesting opportunity for members of the community to teach each other because if if there's a level that is part of the tower trial for that day that like teaches you a a spring jump or something like that 
um, where you like you throw the spring in the air, jump up, and then bounce off the spring and pick it up again, mm-hmm. um, which I think we actually had in one of the earlier yeah. uh, iterations. So if that's in there, if you as a newer player are like, I'm going to beat the tower trial today, you go in there, you bump you you bump up against this level that you don't know, you just don't know, you can't, you can't conceive of how to do it. But you also see a lot of people on the leaderboards and stuff, and you're like. Well, somebody figured it out. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's that's an incentive for you to go ask around. You know, go talk to other players and learn from them right. these different techniques. Whereas otherwise, if you're playing by yourself, you just like picked that level. You can't be like, oh, whatever. Yep. And then you just move on because it's not part of something. You know? Yeah. So we got to figure out. I mean, we, we have to see if that is actually how it happens basically like if that's sort well, of and we know there will be people who will just be like really pissed when they can't beat a certain level because they'll yeah. feel like every level should be something that they personally can beat mm-hmm. that goes into the tower yeah or the tower trial but uh but realistically that can never be the case no it will never be yeah and and the conversation has come up in the discord about <clears throat> about the possibility of making multiple tower trials of saying we have an easy one a medium and a hard one <clears throat> but but our stance line is basically we want it to be a shared community experience and we want it to mean something yeah. So, so if you, if you beat the tower trial and then you go to the discord and you're like, guys, I beat the tower trial today. It was awesome. And then you don't want somebody to come in and be like, well, which one was it the easy <laughs> right. one or the hard one? <laughs> um, yeah. And, and that way, if, if everybody plays the same series of levels, then you've got something to talk about and you can say, like, oh yeah, what did you think about that third level? Like it was crazy. Right. Um, and everybody knows what you're talking about. Right. So, uh, so I could th- see, I could see longer ones. Yeah. Not, not necessarily like ones of different difficulty, but like we have like. The current trial, and then maybe we have like a the gauntlet, like a yeah, like a gauntlet, <laughs> right? That's like, that's like really, Double really length, long, yeah. yeah. Um, for people who, because yeah, because if, if you're sitting to have like, because I think, because I think the the cool thing about this way of playing the game is that since it delivers a shared experience, uh, in a in a fresh shared experience daily, that it could end up being for a lot of people who prefer playing to building, it could be the primary way that they actually get content in the game. Yeah, yeah if that's the case, if they want to sit down and play for like you know. A couple hours a day or whatever. But the nice thing is that all the all the previous trials are available too. That's true. So you can, yeah. just, so you can just keep going. Every every day, six new levels going to the tower trial, and then they're just there forever. Yeah, which means so. if you pick up the game six months from now, yeah, Ooh, you yeah, have a lot of stuff. Infinite, infinite tower. Yeah, trials. And, and our hope our hope is that people start making um, like YouTube video guides on how to speed run each each trial right. like each yeah. day's trial so you could say like oh man like i'm stuck on the one from like june 10th last year right. yeah which also uh, i mean it's, it's a huge value add for keeping them in there you know for, yeah like, for keeping the trial in there for just forever right. yep so so we have we have a lot of hopes and dreams for this tower trial thing i think it's gonna do it and, and even those times when it does get when it doesn't quite hit the mark on a given day even that I'm kind of okay with because it's just an interesting thing. I think well, the, it has flaws and that's okay. Well, that's kind yeah. of the point. I think that – and you mentioned something about World of Warcraft that we're going to talk about shortly. But I think there's an interesting point there, which is that the some of the friction and the frustration um, with regard to the game systems or you know, maybe going through a tower trial where there's a level that you can't quite just, just get and beat. And it requires that you go talk to people about it. It requires something like that. Um, yes, that is like requiring extra work on the part of the player. Yes, that's not necessarily good design if your design intent is to uh, just deliver a frictionless solo experience for a game. Uh, but I think where we're trying to get with this is, is there's some really special things that happen when when a game does ask you to talk to other people about it. Or it when does it's not, ask when you. When it's not immediately obvious what to do every yeah. single time. And I think I think it tends to make the experience a little bit more special once you get it going. Uh, and especially once you start making those interactions with the community and stuff like that. So, so it's one of those things where, you know, maybe we have to take a little bit of a hit 
as far as because the thing is like we actually can't control that anyways. Like there's there's actually there's no way for us to keep everything perfect in there. Yeah. It's just not. That's what the campaign is. Yeah, exactly. For. That's, that's the place for that. So <laughs> where we build the levels and give it to you. Yeah, and so even then, some people find it too hard, right? So like there's there's certain points at which we we actually cannot reliably deliver 100 percent of a particular type of experience. But we can make it's, it's the rough edges that make things interesting. Yeah, I know? think there's there's a lot of really good play in there, and especially when it comes to community stuff. Like that's oftentimes where the community becomes a strong thing. Like if I think about my time playing Terraria, which is still mm. one of my favorite games I've ever played, uh, my first couple times that it hated it and it sucked, and then I played it with Adam and, and actually got into it because I sort of had this onboarding experience from a community member essentially, mm-hmm. and then I was reading the wiki like. I just had the yeah, wiki because up. you you talked to somebody who knew some of the things that were possible in the game that you didn't know Correct. about, yeah. and then that starts getting your gears turning, and then you're like, and then mm. and then you find the central resource, and even just the idea, because like when uh, I played Minecraft with my wife a, a few times, mm-hmm. and each time we do it, we just like literally we both have a wiki up on our machines because like it was we just realized the moment we started playing, we we're like we don't know how to do jack shit, yep. and there's no way just to find out, and so like so so you're immediately now part of the community you know quote unquote mm-hmm. um, even though all we're doing is actually consuming content made by the community yeah uh and that, that just becomes actually part of the gameplay experience well, i think that, it's that's makes it really cool it's a broader view of, of game design which is it's not just it's the not the internal construct the of the game yeah there's there's a broader construct that it's operating inside of and i think that's that's where things get really exciting to me and that's also where i think some of these games in the past have succeeded just hand over fist above everything else like world of warcraft is just to me the example of that which is right it used to be very hard. It used to be quite frustrating and occasionally very annoying. Yeah. And that's exactly what made it, I think, so successful in a lot of different yeah. ways there, because there, of how it funneled. There would, there would be uh, – there's this one quest in particular that that everybody talks about from the original World of Warcraft days, which is you you come across this orc named Mankirk. Mm. And he's like, we were my, my family was attacked by these pigmen and my I don't know where my wife is. Can you help me find my wife? That's the whole quest. Mm-hmm. Uh and so then you are one and like and every third uh line of text in the chat in that zone is hey hey anybody know where Mankirk's wife is? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so this has almost become like a meme of like asking mm-hmm. where Mankirk's wife is. Um and so but but that becomes a, a point of conversation because it's it's in a it's in a barren wasteland and there's hardly any landmarks and it's actually hard to tell people where it is. Yeah. So you have to show them. So if you are a newer player and then you say, like, hey, you know where Mankirk's wife is? Some veteran player would be like, oh, yeah, I'm in the area, actually. They, down, like, they invite you, you to a yeah. group and they walk you over there to to show you, like, where this happened. Yep. Um, so now you meet people and the whole – Yeah. Like, so, like, the, it's it's actually those those uncomfortable rough edges of the game design that that cause people to come together to bridge the game. Well, I think that's you know? that's the smarter aspect about it is, is including the players as – the design of the game. Yes. Right. As opposed to trying to build something that's completely airtight, which is generally what we've done in the past. Like Crashlands is the example of this, which is it's completely self-contained. Um, we've, we viewed it as a flaw that in, for example, yes. Minecraft, the game doesn't tell you how to build anything. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we viewed that as a problem to be solved. Um, and so we did that, you know, we, we had, you just acquire recipes through quests and the game is always mm-hmm. telling you how to do things and what to do. Um, and as a result, nobody ever had to really ask at all yeah and i think our, our understanding of it has grown bigger where it now it, basically if the if the game's design also includes basically if it also reaches out into the players and into the community then you get something just way more interesting and i think also just way more uh like it facilitates a different sort of experience with the game that i think is just better overall because it involves people at that point yeah just sort of the point of really everything i would agree yeah uh, let's talk about streamers yeah, what happened 
so well, I mean, so we've been we've been kicking keys out uh, for Levelhead to get some more people aware of the game existing and that sort of thing. And we've had a couple of big streamers pick it up the last week or so, um, all the way up to like a thousand people viewing it at one time, which is super super cool to see. Um, and there's some interesting, I guess, the most interesting point is something a bit of a cautionary tale for for devs generally if you're launching a game is that those those peak sort of streaming moments or whatever else don't necessarily correlate with any immediate anything in terms of sales, in terms of wish lists, in terms of just whatever. And by not necessarily, I mean, we haven't seen it at all. We have, we have seen it with regards to YouTubers. Yeah. yeah. We have not well, with Steve, but we haven't seen it with regard to uh, streamers. Yeah. So if a well, huge streamer picks it up. It's possible that, that the conversion rate is the same, mm-hmm. but in a YouTube video, you you know, because it's a, it's asynchronous. It's like yeah. C's video gets 200,000 views, you know, and if the conversion rate is the same, then yeah. a Twitch streamer getting 1,000 viewers is not, you're not, you're not going to be a 200, it should be one 200. Yeah. 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 So um, it's been really interesting to see because, you know, we, we know that we're doing the right sort of angle on the work, which is continuously pushing and continuously getting the game in front of people. Um, but it's been really interesting to see the difference in, like, it's very exciting to see someone playing your game with a thousand people watching. Right. It seems like the exact has a very high emotional impact, I think, on news dev, which it seems like exactly the sort of thing we're like, yes, you know, we've, we've made it. We've made it. Um, and then you go, look at, not your, then you go yeah. look at your sales numbers. Wish this. You're like, uh, yeah. And so there's any been, minute now. <laughs> there's been some posts about this in the past before, but I just thought it was worth pointing out that these things are all they're all pieces of the puzzle, but no one of them ends up being a silver. Puzzle. I would argue that they're they're a piece of only one one thing, which is the mere exposure effect. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what what you want is by the time your game goes into a full launch, um, that people Just literally everybody kind of knows about. Yeah, it. the people who people aren't seeing it for the very first time yeah. that mm-hmm. they've at least heard the name or they've seen a clip mm-hmm. or whatever, Something. right? And so th- that's that's what kind of what we're viewing this early access period. It's like we're sending out keys and we're reaching out to people, um, not necessarily to make tons of sales and get a, lo- a lot of coverage because we know that that's not necessarily possible given where we're at. But we do want to just continuously saturate just saturate the consciousness of the public a little bit mm-hmm. with a little bit of level head. Yeah. So, uh, so that's kind of where we're at. Um, all right. Let's talk about some industry news before we get on to questions. Uh, for starters, Cadence of Hyrule is coming out. Yeah. This is the crossover between Legend of Zelda and Crypt of the Necrodancer with a yeah. soundtrack by Danny Baranowski. I'm very, very excited. This about is this. all of the things. This is, I think this is the only <laughs> game I've been excited about in like a, a year or two. Yeah. I think. It's I think awesome. Fallout 4 was the last one I was excited about, and then I that work was less excited afterwards. <laughs> so hopefully this is not one of those things. Yeah. It, just, it looks awesome. It looks like it takes everything. And I didn't play a lot of Zelda growing up, really, but I, but I did play it. And so... So I still have like a little bit of a nostalgia pull on it. And it looks like it does a really good job of kind of capturing the early Zelda experience. It you looks know? so fun. But then combined with the awesomeness of that group, the Necrodancer. So I've, I've seen some some uh, theories circulating on the web because, of course, E3 is coming up next week, the 11th, I think, 11th, 13th. Nintendo does Nintendo Direct there. And, and there's some general thought that maybe – they're just gonna drop. They're just gonna drop it because they put out a weirdly. There was a there's a trailer about it last week. Yeah, or they just like, they just confirmed it was coming out in June, but that was it. Yeah, everyone's like that's a little. Suspicious. And it would be weird if they were to launch it at the same time as Mario Maker. Yeah, definitely not gonna happen. Which, which is end of June, probably the first half of June, and E3 is right there, right there. Yeah. So the like the guess I saw was let's put let's like, put one and one together. And <laughs> yeah, <two>. someone's <laughs> like I think during the direct they're gonna be like it's now available. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play that the whole fucking weekend. Yep, the moment it comes great. out. Yes, I'm very excited. Agreed. Um, so that's, I'm excited about that as yeah. well. Uh, there was also over this past week, uh, more 
more interesting news about the classic WoW thing, classic mm-hmm. World of Warcraft launch coming, which is uh, on the beta servers, they've, they've capped players at level 30, which is half of the level cap. So the players can't even really do most of the things in the game. Uh, so they're trying, the people on the beta server are, are trying to like figure out what to do. So they're doing things like hosting dueling tournaments and stuff like that. This is getting back to the whole like, this is a rough edge. Yeah. And now it creates a social. Yeah. People are like, well, this is awesome anyway. And I love, like, I love playing my mage and freezing things. So let's just go find something yep. to do. So a couple of uh, WoW streamers put together this dueling tournament and ended up with 155,000 people watching this tournament That's on insane. Twitch. It's wild. Uh, is it one of the top watched? Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. And and then, and what's also happening too is there, so there's a lot of private servers that are that are essentially pi- like pirated versions of the game um, where people put together their own server and you can play you can connect to their server instead of to Blizzard's servers and you can play the original which I'm still incredibly impressed by that so many reverse engineered an entire and Blizzard's just so impressed they're like it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> keep on keep I think they will be fine with it right up until the moment Classic oh, yeah, WoW comes out yeah. uh, but actually so a lot of those private servers have declared that they're going to shut down when Classic WoW comes yeah, out because basically they what they're the saying time. is like this is all we wanted all we wanted was a way to play this game and we had to invent it because it wasn't yep. provided um but a lot of these servers are now unplayable because so many people are are going to them because they're so because they're waiting for the they're, they're like oh, all they want to do is play it but they, they can't because they have to wait until August and yeah. and they didn't get into the beta either uh, and so so the the wait time like you you can read about like the wait times for doing just basic quests where there'll be a quest that's like oh go kill this uh, you know guy by a tree or whatever. You go over there, and there's just like a hundred people standing around this tree waiting really? for this guy. To- <laughs> that poor soul. Yeah. And of course, like, <laughs> and, and of course, uh, only one person can get credit at a time because that was just how the game worked at that time. Do they naturally form a queue, or do they all like go? People Ooh, yeah, sometimes, be some really sometimes people, yeah, yeah sometimes people try to form a queue. I've seen that happen. Yeah. Uh, but other times, they're like some some you know jerk will just. There's come. not enough. S- Social psychology studying done inside of yeah. MMOs. Well, they did like they did some epidemiology studies yeah. using WoW as an example. Yeah. And there's also interesting so- sociology stuff uh, and psychology stuff where like people have found that in a, you know in a video game your character doesn't collide with other characters. You can like walk through right. people and stuff like that. And also when you when you speak using text, uh, your your text just goes into a chat box, right? But people will still take their characters and, yeah, and walk face each up other. and face each other and stand the normal yep. distance apart mm. as if they're having a conversation, even yeah. though you don't actually have to do that. And you'd have no facial expressions or anything. So it's not, you know, you don't need to face You don't need other. to, but people still reinforce the, the social uh, norms of the real world. It's yeah. very interesting. Well, so uh, I, want to, I want to mention that because I think, you know, since WoW, there was some article that came out that was like the 14 other MMOs that came out since WoW started uh, that have, are gone. Now. Yeah, there's just like a graveyard of them for yeah. the last 15 years. Wildstar, the most recent one, I think that yeah. collapsed. Warhammer Online. There's just tons of them, and and the big like Guild Wars, I think, is probably the only one that's yeah still alive. And so there's a big question there, which is like, what what's the deal with that? And I'm wondering if a big part of it isn't is that they were too they were actually no matter what they did, they were just too close. Like they didn't they weren't necessarily taking the really interesting to me lessons from World of Warcraft, which was which is really all about the social experience and applying it to like another thing. But instead it was always basically the same. Well, it was, it would be basically the same, but I think they did what, what we did relative to Minecraft, which is they tried to solve the problems. You know, yes. they, they tried to solve the problems of the game without recognizing that that was one of the inherent values. In right. The and that, yeah. The problems are actually what brings a community together. Yeah. Yeah. There's, so. a, there's this really interesting thing in the, uh, the, I think it's called the art and science of drawing. So it's an old drawing book. Um, 
but this idea here's this idea that that when you're drawing something the the parts that you miss right the the information that you leave out is essentially what becomes your style at the end of the day and huh. and that that the things you leave out is what creates the space for your vision of whatever this thing is to actually exist and so he refers to it as dithering which is that and he, he actually puts it in terms of of an engine which is if you have an engine for a car that is perfectly fit the engine actually doesn't work because there's not there's not actually space for there's things, no to, things there's to not move. room for things to kind of move around and so you need some of this dithering space where things can kind of they just need to kind of jiggle around a little bit. They need to have some some chaos room. And if you don't have it, then literally the engine's dead. You have a perfect engine and it doesn't Like every work. cylinder is just exactly just to the nanometer yeah. fit mm-hmm. into its – And so I'm wondering if there's some degree of that with regard to these games too, which is that that dithering space is essentially what's required for some of this more interesting social interaction to take place, which is itself maybe the core value of that game in the first place. Because that is really what WoW was doing, which is it brought people together in a way that just hadn't been done effectively. Yeah. And so much of it was brought together around the various nuisance components. Yeah, and, and, and what people tried <laughs> right. to recreate was the game, like the, the gameplay yeah. and the mechanics and stuff. And then they tried to solve the mechanical problems of, of the right. game as opposed to trying to recreate the social atmosphere. But I think it's – I mean you know? think about when you're marketing it, like when you're selling. You can't be like our game is just as bad. In all these, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but, we, when you but ask weirdly the player what they want. Like a we, player's not going to be like I want more limited inventory. I want more wait times for things. I want to take so long. Yeah, nobody nobody wants those things, but they're so good. They're you know, so good yeah, in certain contexts. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's interesting too to see the just like the thirst that people have for these actual like shitty game experiences because like if you go to the classic WoW forums, every now and then somebody will ask a question. They'll be like, "I'm a little concerned because there's this quest where I'm supposed to collect beaks." Off of these birds. And what I remember from back in the day was that I had to kill like a hundred of these birds to get five beaks, you know, and I'm a little worried that you guys are going to fix that and make it so that all the birds have beaks, you know, (laughs) and the developers are coming like, oh, no, no, you're going to be so bored of killing all these birds. You're going to hate it. And the person's like, perfect. Exactly what I need. (laughs) But so again, I think, I think now you're gonna go socialize while you're yeah. Boring, you're just gonna like boringly birds. run around killing these birds yeah. while talking in guild chat. To but I think friend. that's what it is. Yeah. I think there's 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 some level of narrow sight that comes in when you think of the game as just the game. Yeah. And once you start realizing, because like you just said, like it's a, it's a shitty game, right? Yeah. But so, it's a great experience. Yeah. So what's that? So those are not the same thing. So clearly, it's you not. You got to recognize game, right? what it's for. You mm-hmm. know, it's not. It's not Counter Strike. It's well, again, something if, else. If you just think about the game as as the game systems, but not as the people that are interacting with it too, and mm-hmm. how that's all interlacing, then I think yeah, you're missing you're missing the other piece, which every single other MMO has kind of done this. Yeah, I mean, I know certainly like, what I felt from a lot of my past gameplay experiences is that what I really wanted for the next one was just the same game but with updated graphics because like the world had you know it's yeah five or ten years later now it's like it's time for some updated graphics so my eyes don't bleed while I'm I don't want Half Life three I want just Half Life two again. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Smoother and looking cooler. Half Life Two but <laughs> although Half Life Two still looks really good. It does, that's true. It they did they did an incredible job. Yeah. They really did. Uh, if only they would, you know, continue <laughs> that. Well you got artifact. You guys <laughs> Uh, anyway, let's get out of some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. Uh, and over there, you can vote for questions and then, uh, you know, we'll answer them. So the highest voted question comes from Captain Jazz. It has often been said, especially on this podcast, that you can have a fantastic game design, but have an awful user experience. UX. Yeah. 
Uh, and as a result, the game turns out unsuccessful. What is your favorite UX design in any game or program and why? So this is actually just what we were talking about. I don't know mm. if this is actually true. Yeah, I don't know that it is. I, well, I think like having a good game but a bad UX yeah. and then the bad UX kills the game. Because I can name tons of games that have a terrible user experience that did phenomenally. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Well, in fact, that's just what we were talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe so a good UX kills games. There you go. Well, it depends, right? I think if so, the question is, what's a good UX? Like you have to boil this, right? So, so you, you UX is, you can't you can't separate it from the game design. Yeah. So yeah. UX is essentially the idea of as as far as I understand it. I, maybe I'm wrong, but it's it's the idea. Of, Everybody defines it differently, so you can't be wrong. Yeah. yeah. It's it's the it's the understanding of how the user interacts with the game systems and trying to make those interactions not be cumbersome and and sort of annoying and have unnecessary steps and things you have to right. do and be intuitive and understand. Right. And so the thing, in, like for example, in Crashlands, we removed inventory. And that was a UX decision. Like there still is an inventory and you still have stuff. You just can't look at it. Yeah. And so we had to design all these different ways for you to still be able to pick things up and have them. And like, how do you equip items if you can't open up your inventory? Also, a side note, in Levelhead, you also have an inventory. That's true. You have pockets. No, you have pockets. You have pockets. Right now, the only thing that uses the pockets system is the armor plate. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we may expand. Mm -hmm. We may expand that. Pockets. Pockets. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll add coins Mm -hmm. to the game. You can put some coins in your pockets. People have been making shops. So. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) If we had like a merchant uh, object, you could just like run up to and 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 actually deposit coins into. And you could set values for the. uh, For a switch. For for, or no, set values for what you would get from him depending on certain things. You can yeah. choose your item. People, so actually, uh, last week, uh, somebody made a, a clicker. I haven't played that yet. Does it work? It it works. Yeah, it's basically like first you just like jump. It was and an hit, ant, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and you just jump and hit your head against a pressure plate, and like you just keep doing that. And at a certain point, you've done it enough, and then it like gives you a battery or something. You can take that battery. And you unlock this thing. And so basically whenever whenever you hit your head on a pressure plate, it spawns an enemy from a generator and drops it to its death. So that's like – that's the, ah, the action that you're doing. Okay. And then at a certain point, you unlock a thing that allows you to uh, to turn on something that will just continuously drop enemies to their death, right? So it's mm. it's just the clicker. <laughs> and this is why they were saying that 99 was a they restrictive needed. limit because they wanted right. to be, they wanted to be able to drop 1,000 enemies to their right. death or, you know, or infinite. Um, Which is probably fine. It, it's only a problem when it comes to the battle doors and the battle switches because they have like an, an all enemies counter. setting. But you know, whatever. I mean, I guess it's fine. It's probably fine. Yeah. So so if people. It's what was that was that uh, the people play, play stupid game <laughs> games win stupid prizes. That's yeah, if you set it to infinite, if you if this door requires you, door, then this door requires you to kill all the enemies, and you have infinite enemies. Well, you can be here a while. <laughs> it's gonna take you a little while to publish that level. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so so they made a real clicker, like a real idle game, mm-hmm. where you just like you keep you keep doing stuff, and then you just keep spawning more enemies faster and dropping them to their deaths. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty incredible. So we got to do something like this. Well, I would cool. say my favorite UX experience recently was in uh, Pit People, mm. which is mostly because like everything everything about the UI design is embedded in the in the game's world, so that. The moment you hit the game, every part of your experience from acting on a menu to like making your little characters move around to like to being in combat, everything all feels like it's the same experience, right? You never feel like you're being like taken out yeah. of the place to like look at a Don't menu. Don't they have a thing where when you acquire new party members, but your party is full, 
then those party members go into a dungeon in the basement of your yeah, house. So you have like you have a dungeon <laughs> that all your extra party members live inside. Yeah, so of. you don't have just like a party management yeah. UI. You actually go to your house yep. and then the camera like pans down to the basement where you basically yeah. have all these party members yeah, locked up. <laughs> and then the That's town, like the town UI where you can like choose where to go and what to do. Which, it, which in reality is just a boring ass UI. It's just mm-hmm. instead they turn it into a town that is dancing. The whole fucking yep. town is dancing. Like the houses are b- bouncing up and down. Well, you no, get some that great, was our, uh, really go- catching music. Yeah, that was our goal with our our own main menu in Levelhead. Yeah. It's like, yep. like actually, if even if you go back, I think in J- January of this year, mm-hmm. uh, we yeah, I made them in December and finished them in January. Yeah, so so even in early January of this year, the main menu was just a normal background, like from the levels, and then we just had a bunch of buttons on it. Yep. You know, so you'd have like all the different floors of the tower yep. and click on a bunch of just my profile and that was it, you know? So yeah, like having, having, it's not just about the flow of the user through the interfaces, mm-hmm. but actually like turning the interfaces into something interesting, like a world building kind of yeah, thing. I think some of these that are, that are really fun. Basically, I think it's called diag- diagetic UI or UX design, which is where it's embedded. We refer to it as mm-hmm. embedded because it, it's much more apparent what the fuck that means. Yeah. But um, uh, embedded <laughs> yes. in the in the world sort of sort of designs, which are really fun, like Astroneer with their backpack. Yes, right. That's can, actually UI. Yeah, you can, you you can see your know. oxygen and stuff on there, and you have like your inventory. You can like see things yeah, on the exactly. backpack. It's a yeah. beautiful design, and it's really fun. It, it works really well when things aren't too complicated. Of course, once they start yeah. actually getting complicated, you need like spreadsheets and stuff like that to manage them. Um, I think from a UX standpoint. There's there's a really interesting intersection between it and design where Adam was kind of talking about how in pit people you feel like the experience is actually the same essentially throughout, mm-hmm. which is a really I mean it's a it's a feat and a half as far as like being able to manage all these systems yeah. somehow in the same sort of way. Uh, another one that did it really well was Near Automata, which I played last year. A little I bit. still not play that, and it's cool because they they're frequently changing up how you're playing with the game. Like it's a hack and slash basically, um, but it's also got some weird sort of shooting elements and stuff to it. And then they'll they'll put you on a 2D plane with the character for some section and you're like running through a hallway or something like that, like beating stuff up. So it's it becomes, you know, a 2D side scroller, but the mechanics are essentially the same. And mm. so it feels like the same experience. And then they put you like you play the hacking minigame, which is like a top down, like you're basically like a mouse cursor shooting stuff as you go forward. And again, it's different, but somehow the same. all of it feels the same. But they do, there's like four different of these sort of games essentially inside there but all have a similar feel to them which i think is really impressive and that one in particular is funny because if you go into one of your you go into your inventory you can actually take out your power chip because you're like an android and it just turns off the game <laughs> <laughs> which i thought again like yeah it's that's just fucking like, cool yeah it's great Don't i love it. this can yeah. you put it back in though or i think you just restart wherever your save was okay like that. that's something that i've been i've been wanting to do more of is having more pointless things. Yeah. Yes, we love pointless. Those things are awesome. We talked about having we wanted to have slap fights in the editor. So if you have two co-op hands in there, then yeah, when they go by each other. other, they just like slap each other. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I, I think the problem here is or just high five. I guess. Yeah, yeah. This this is actually one of the struggles of of early access development, which is why I'm glad we're switching our our patch cadence mm-hmm. because I think it does give us time to do these dumb things. Uh, but yeah, it, you feel like you have to do things that are important. All yeah, time. those are those things where like if you if you put out a patch and you're like, hey, <laughs> hey, listen. Now, when you're when you're building levels of co-op, if your hands get too close together, they start slapping the shit out of yep. each other. This is not a 
feature. Like this isn't a game mechanic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious, but everyone's gonna feel like they missed out on what could have been instead yeah. of. Uh, and so people will will genuinely complain about us spending time making yep. this dumb feature. Uh, when there are actual bugs in the game and there are actual you know, optimization problems and there's missing items that people want and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, but I think people really undervalue just how much that kind of dumb crap ad, like, so adds fun. to the experience. Well, actually, yeah. something they, undervalue, they underestimate its value because they actually value it enormously. They just don't know it. Yeah. Once yeah. they have it, they're like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, it's what makes everything feel really good is is that pointless yeah. stuff. Well, we talked about this with the development of the main menu because it, was, it took basically two full weeks of art to – build the damn thing. And a lot of programming. And a lot of programming to put together. Completely different than anything we built before. And so I, had just, to, I had to design a custom uh, tool for drawing dynamic button shapes and yeah. then reloading never, them back into the game. Never done that shit before. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. all this stuff. And so we had this big question beforehand, which was like, okay, we really want to do this because we think it would completely change the feel of the game and really make you live in the world in a cool way. Um, but it's going to take a lot of time. Like, do you, is, is that okay? Everyone on board with this, we were like, no. Yeah, it sounds dumb. But if we delivered that in early access and spent like two weeks making right. an awesome main menu, menu uh, people would feel let down by that. Despite Maybe. how awesome, I don't it know is. if that's true. I, I think I think our community would be pretty pumped about it, but it, there there would still always kind of be that feeling that we had like kicked the can on some yeah. some stuff that people really wanted. Like we still don't have that undo button, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> which you shouldn't be reminding people. <laughs> yep. uh, and it's going to be still quite a while because we want to do we want to do things like we want to add. Uh, like some kind of cool like wooden tile set so you can like build yep. a house you know we want that to me that's more exciting than an, un- than an undo button uh because mm-hmm. people been getting by just fine without the undo button yep. you know but but having a ha- being able to build a house that's fucking awesome what about weather machines mm-hmm. you know being able to turn weather on and off that's super cool Sounds it's not fun. a mechanic like it doesn't like it, the game mm-hmm. plays exactly the same um so yeah then other just like just stuff you can put out in the world that doesn't do anything yep yeah like I, I wanted to do, uh, I want to do like LEDs, like just be able to like, like make basically like an LED strip, you mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. choose the colors and stuff like that. Uh, that'd be awesome, but it doesn't yep. do anything. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think, I think now that we kind of have this, this, you know, we just have the time now to, to think mm-hmm. about it. It means that we always get to deliver something that clearly is valuable, but then also we can throw some stuff that maybe just isn't as cool. Well, I will say, so on this, on this UX thing. I think if you have a single player game that is purely single player, like purely, that also has bad UX, that's, that's a problem. That's, yeah. bad, that's a bad situation. Or people will put up with a lot for. Uh, it depends. If it's a experience. Pokemon game, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Would you say Pokemon is bad UX? I don't think I would. Yeah. Yeah, I think in what way? Just Wait, which which one? Just all of it, or specific? Uh, mo- most I mean, of it. Basically the same. So. Yeah. Yeah. Just just it's very slow. To, to, to do most things mm-hmm. um like the fact that you have to save your game manual all the time and like you hit you hit start it's like menu slowly opens up and then you're like beep 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 <laughs> down to the save and you press save <laughs> and it's like saving don't turn anything off and then like eight seconds go by I'm like what is happening mm-hmm. in this There's game a lot of pokemon to save yeah um so you know but but i think some of the some of the ux problems of the original which is things like you catch Pokemon and then it goes – it just goes into that weird computer thing mm-hmm. with like a really crappy interface and no way to sort things. And you might have 300 Pokemon stored in that computer. Mm-hmm. But it's very hard to find the ones that you want. To be fair, they you still know. don't have any sorting mechanism on that. Yeah. But it's fine though. That's fine. You know? So – It'd be nice if they did. I, I think <laughs> I think a lot of these things matter a lot less than than people Well, maybe that's think. what it is, which is certain, certain UX problems are just – 
I mean, it's just part of the experience. We have this we have this extra conversation usually during production meetings because we'll get we get tons of feedback from players, and so we'll be going through it and and oftentimes because we have to allocate what is important for us to actually be working on right now, right? And so something when you're talking about it might seem like super important that we fix this one little weird thing that is kind of annoying to some people sometimes. But then we just take a step back and we're like, okay, in the context of everything else we can do, this is irrelevant. Because like yeah, if we, we prioritize that thing, then it pushes every other thing yep. down the list. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. But I think my, my broader point with the Pokemon thing was just like people are more excited about world building. People are more excited about yeah. interesting characters and stories and that kind of a thing. And the thing about the world is the world has garbage UX. You know, like you want to get to work, it takes you half an hour. Mm -hmm. You want to get a meal, you got to stand in line. You know, you want to get paid, well, wait two weeks for your paycheck to come in. Like everything that happens in the real world is very inconvenient and it's very bad feedback loops, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you want to make a genuine world building game, then it kind of has to suck in some degree. Well, otherwise it's a clicker, you know? Exactly. Um, So, you know, I think there's a balance. There's a balance Mm -hmm. to strike. Uh, all right, let's hit one uh, one more question, which is a tie for highest uploaded as well. From Retro Banana Man NL. Stats. We, or at least I, uh, what level had numbers? <laughs> Percentages, plain numbers, averages, medians, everything. Uh, please let us know what you have. All right, so here's what I gathered. What did you get? So bear in mind, these stats are coming from our telemetry, which is only applied to logged in players. Mm-hmm. We don't really know what logged out players are doing. We don't even know if there are any. Yeah. We, we know literally nothing. Um, so there's that. All right. Yep. So uh, of all the people who have logged in, uh, 83% of – so 100% of them play the campaign because yep. that's just – you know, 83% of them uh, go on to play online levels published by other players and 56% of them ever do anything in the workshop at all. About half. Yeah. So this is an interesting note because we often get players coming in saying, I bought this game only to use the workshop and I think the campaign should be deleted. Yeah. Uh, well, actually what they say is there should be an, a button you can click to skip the whole campaign, which to me is deleting the campaign. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but interestingly, a lot of our players just have a great time with the campaign and then they're fulfilled and they don't even need to use the workshop. <laughs> yep. Yep. So that's kind of interesting. Um, we've had about one and a half years of playtime generated. Wow. This is active playtime. So this is either building stuff in the workshop or actively playing levels. Right. Uh, either is in that the camp- also campaign? In the campaign or, or online. Um, so that doesn't count browsing the marketing department. That doesn't count uh, looking at your it's profile. Moving a, moving a great team around or moving a little hand around. Yeah, it's actually right. building levels or playing levels. Um, and it also doesn't count like the time between respawns and stuff. It's like actually playing. Um, so about a year and a half of actual playtime. Uh, so far, we have about an average of eight and a half hours of active playtime per person who has logged wow. in. Uh, that does skew upward. Because it's an average. There's, it's an average. And right. there's a, a we got a pretty good proportion of players who play a lot. <laughs> uh, and, then, uh, and then a lot of people, you know, they play it casually. Yeah. So uh, there's that. Uh, the breakdown of of those hours is 41% of those hours are in the workshop. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest chunk. Uh, 38% of those hours are people playing the campaign, and 21% are people playing published levels. Which is a pretty dang good spread. Yeah. It so is. I think the tower trial will probably bump that. It'll probably bump up the published level mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but it's interesting because uh, 
So, so about half of the players use the workshop, but most of the plate or plurality of the playtime is in the workshop, yep. which makes sense because the mm-hmm. workshop is not strenuous. You can, you can spend 10 hours building a level yep. and feel excited and rejuvenated by that. Mm-hmm. But if you spend 10 hours playing package ni- or nightmare package yeah. jump panic, you got to go take a, a nap. nap. That is a long <laughs> time. You need a swig of whiskey or a nap. Yeah. Yep. So, so the, so this is kind of our our intent behind the game's design was to create a balanced uh, set of content so that in the campaign you've got well paced levels that you can engage with that are meant to be beaten, <laughs> yeah. and then you can go play published levels which are unpredictable and kind of hard. Um, so you're not going to necessarily be able to sort of physically put right. that much time into them, but you, they're still really interesting and engaging. And then the workshop is where you go when you just kind of want to break and just like poke around and do fun yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah, I love having these like these different moments of pacing in games. I think it's really fun. Like if your game only has one pace, which is like you're just you're just going now and it's just pain the whole time. Yeah. Um, if there's some place where you can put uh, – it's the campfire effect. But like some place where people can rest a little bit while still playing the game I think yeah. is Yeah. So, so in, in Crashlands for us, that was building your base. You know, like yeah. you go out and you, and you do stuff, you craft, and then you build your base. Like those were kind of like the three the – Yeah, because sometimes uh, you don't feel like – fighting stuff you just kind of want to but you still want to be playing you just want to build a farm and kind of mm-hmm. dink around yeah. you know slap a bacon weed pot yep. or whatever yeah um as far as levels in the workshop uh 3421 hours have gone into building levels that have gone on to be published okay right that's where are we uh 1798 hours have been put into levels that have yet to be published so we kind of have like Ooh. a like a work in process uh, kind of a thing. So it seems like about maybe like two thirds of the time that has gone into building levels has actually gone into put it, like published published levels. levels. Yeah. Um, we've had over two million total attempts at uh, campaign and published levels. So about one point two million attempts on levels in the campaign, and about nine hundred forty thousand attempts wow. in uh, published levels. That's great. So mm-hmm. again, that is because of the fact that that fewer people play published levels, and published levels tend to be. They tend to be hit or miss, you know, because like some of them <laughs> yeah. can be really frustrating. I kind of think whereas the campaign is we purposely built it to give a progression. So uh, and also because everybody plays the campaign. Yeah. So it does make sense that the campaign has right, more attempts. Uh, we've had over 2000 levels published and we have 3.1 megabytes of server storage for levels. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the average level is one. Point, real. Yeah. The average level is 1.5 kilobytes. We compress wow. the fuck out of them. Uh, and, and that's so, before G-zipping them because I G-zip them once they hit the server yeah, and store them. That's before we actually actually And G-zipping them. seems to compress them by another like 40%. Yeah. Shit. So. so we have not yet reached uh, having like a single Five. Beyonce Wait. single yeah. MP3 uh, in terms that's of hilarious storage. Part, one of the things that people will always, will always want and ask for is being able to take some sort of a snapshot yeah. of their level to like – picture? Yeah, to have it. And the hilarious thing is that a single picture is actually going to take up like also a, more space than we currently are storing yeah, for 2000. One levels. picture. Yeah. So that's why we're just a reminder. It. That's why we're not doing Especially it. Especially if that picture is at the full HD of the game. Yeah. That would be what, like a four megabytes or five megabytes? Yeah. It, dep- it depends on a lot of things. But yeah. yeah it, it's going to be. So, like, yeah, taking one single PNG image is several thousand level head levels. Yeah. <laughs> 
And that is why we're not doing it. That's why we're not doing it. Yeah. People have also asked about being able to like upload music to their level. And I'm like, first of all, copyright. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, no. thanks. I do not yeah, want to be redistributing. Happening. But also storage fees. No, thanks. But mostly the storage yeah. fees. <laughs> I don't want to be redistributing. Honestly, it's mostly both. Yeah. Redistributing turned down for what on every level, which is awesome, but also illegal. Mm-hmm. So we, yeah. don't want to, we don't want to get into that. Um, yeah, so uh, those are all the stats I thought would be kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. It would be, it would be fun. Like we're probably, I mean, we're almost definitely not going to do it, but I like the idea also of hooking up to something like Spotify, the Spotify API, so that you could like have your game set Ooh, up. You could hook your, have, your, have your level be like, yeah, if the, if the player is on Spotify, like cause this cause this to play, right? If that's even possible with their API, I have no idea. I, I think it is. That would be cool. That, that, was, could, like, that, that was, was a request we got. But think about this. Like, what if you just wanted to listen to Spotify? There is that. Listen yeah. to your own music. <laughs> I mean, it would have, to be, it would have keeps, to be a fully opt-in thing, Yeah, right? the game then, keeps taking your Spotify yeah. and doing stuff with it. Yeah, most of the things, like, by the time you actually, like, implemented that and did all the opt-in stuff and, like, whatever, then uh, it's a, very it's small a huge cost for a small audience at the, at the end. Yeah, and then, like, what is it? It's mostly just like conceptually cool. And that's fun. it. Yeah. Well, yeah, but the, the kinds of things that would probably end up happening is people would like take uh, music from other video game soundtracks, you know, and oh, yeah. like mm-hmm. recreate those. Because we, we've got now like Pac-Man, we've got Donkey Kong, yep. we've got Mario, we've got Space Invaders. We've Pokemon. Poke- like we, there, people have been recreating versions of so many other games in mm-hmm. our game that, yeah, that would make, I mean, that would sort of complete the experience if you also had the soundtrack. But yeah. Um, but you can make your own soundtrack using all the mm-hmm. little, little mini boxes. That's true. I still need to figure out how to get the uh, the maximum number of channels increased because people are doing a, people are doing a lot with those boom boxes with yeah. the limited number of uh, receiver IDs we have. But how many IDs do we have now? One hundred twenty-seven. Yeah. So people are people are usually building uh, conveyor belts with moving boxes that hit pressure plates to yeah. to play boombox songs. Um, so there's there's a lot. Oh yeah, oh there's one last thing which we forgot to mention, which is we got a new power up coming this week. All right, so that's all the time yep. we have. <laughs> <laughs> that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting our <laughs> podcast together. Thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we've got links to everything. Uh, so thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next well, also, week. Also, Shenanicon. Oh. And Shenanah Jam. Yeah. Do we have links to those things at podcast.bscash.net? No, but we, I don't know where I would put them. Just on there. Just, Just on there. On it. Boom. Right there. But to get go them, to, go to shenanacon.com or shenanahjam.com or meet.bscash. There's a whole bunch of places you can go. Just go those places. And they all get you there. Mm-hmm. But, but ideally, probably on we the could podcast just put them on podcast.bscash.net. <laughs> Somewhere. Well, the jam's coming up. It's the end of this month. Yeah. Uh, it's July 12th. It's the middle of July. It's the middle of next month. <laughs> <laughs> That, that, is, know that is a mere six weeks away. Yeah. So I will say, go. The go main to sh- thing you should do is go to shenanajam.com. Go to shenanajam.com. Get on there. What we want is to create the positive feedback loop. Right now, we have over 100 people signed up already. Mm-hmm. What we want is is to get a shitload of people signed up so that when other people from itch.io or from elsewhere in the world, they stumble across it and like, what's going on? This jam has 39 million people mm-hmm. in it. That's what we need to have. A lot of jam. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so just go to shenanajam.com, sign up, and then come jam with us on July 12th. All right. Well, that's all we got. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.